Hey, all right. <laughs> Welcome to a special presentation from Better Yet and The Alternative. My name is Tim Crisp, and joining me today to discuss her band's brand new record, Printer's Devil, is out tomorrow for you listeners. Yes. She's a singer, songwriter, and guitarist of Rat Boys, Julie Steiner. Hey. How are you? Pretty good. Hanging out. Enjoying the morning. How are you? I'm doing pretty, pretty good. Excited. I haven't had an interview in here in a long time. Nice. Um, so to timestamp this a little bit, we've got, obviously we're not recording it the day before the release, the day that you're listening. <laughs> if you're all familiar with the concept of podcasts, but... Yeah, this um, is freaky. We got a pretty wild and kinetic week for you. This one has been, Monday was the release of third single from the record Ange. yeah and yesterday was the announcement of a few shows with wilco yeah it's fucked up that is fucked up <laughs> I haven't fully processed that yet but i mean it's a dream come true for me i've loved that band for a long time so it's unbelievable to yeah. see um and that's like i remember the first time we uh, did an interview together. That was one of the things that we talked about was Wilco's AM being a oh. tremendous influence sure. on you. All of the records. I, yeah, I just love how they're able to kind of bring something new to the table each time they record. And even now, like, I haven't listened to their newer one as much, Ode to Joy, but I'm excited to see how those songs sound live because they're, like, so spacious and soft yeah so it'll be and it's sometimes hard to hear how each of their members is contributing on the recording but i'm sure it's all it's like just so subtle nowadays and so i'm really honestly like one of my first thoughts this is kind of sad but when we got that news i was like oh my god i get to see wilco three times for free (laughs) like that's so awesome so you get to stand in different spots than you're yeah used to standing in oh it's gonna be great um and and then that's where we left off last time was when you came over to talk about the compilation. But what I'd really like to revisit as we get into Printer's Devil was a summer night in 2017. You and Dave and Chloe on the couch. Oh, yeah. Playing live. Playing live at my apartment. And you were playing Peter the Wild Boy. Uh, the last song on GN, and since then, since that night, you know, I mean, just like, oh, just <laughs> <laughs> since then, you've uh, been touring a lot. Yeah, the band has been touring a lot. Yeah, we've been on the road pretty constantly. Although for the last few months, we've been home, so it uh, it'll be we're just itching to get back out again. We like touring. Yeah. You've been playing a lot of big rooms. Yeah, we've gotten to open for some bands who are very popular. And yeah, it's it's really exciting to like play big rooms when you're an opener because there's not as much pressure on you to draw the crowd. You're kind of just given this opportunity to like win people over. Right. And you know there's going to be people there. And your job is just to play. And so that we, I mean, we really enjoyed that role. Although it's going to be so cool to like headline. We've never done that. Mm-hmm. So now we feel like we've learned so much from like Pup and Foxing and, you know, Wunderbar, these bands that are really good at headlining. So we want to take our shot now. And I feel like that's, that spot that you're in is kind of, for a lot of people, the the dream of presenting your art in any way is if I could just get this out in front of people. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, just to have that opportunity to, people are excited to be at the show, and if they don't know you at all, like, they're, at the very least, there's, like, a floor of enthusiasm that they have, Mm -hmm. and so you're catching them in a good mood, and, yeah, yeah, you hope that if you play your best and have a great time, that'll, like, show. So, yeah, it was, all those tours were really fun, honestly. The last two years have had very few, like, bad vibes Mm -hmm. at all, so... And now it's in, in 2017 when, when GN was coming out, um, I know that Danny played on that record. Mm-hmm. And as far as touring went, there were a lot of different people 
yeah playing drums for you you had namdi at points evan lorich yep um marcus when we started playing with him right and marcus and and sean had been there for a while too playing bass pretty consistently yeah sean had been in the band since february of 2017 that's like when he Mm -hmm. joined um been three years now which is so awesome this lineup is kind of the for for a, a lot of intents and purposes the uh i think the story apprentice devil is the four of you yeah absolutely yeah, I mean, when we when we recorded GN and Danny played drums, we definitely didn't go into it banking on the fact that he would stick around for a while. Like, he's a dear friend of ours. He and Dave went to high school together, but we knew that he had different ambitions. Like, professionally, he mm-hmm. cares a lot about his job. He loves, like, having a nine-to-five schedule. He just, like, relishes in that uh, stability. And yeah. so, yeah, when, when he recorded drums, we didn't definitely didn't expect to be able to have that lineup forever. Um, and so, but this time it was so different because when we came in to the studio and Marcus played on most of the songs, he had made it very clear to us that he was like pretty much all in on this. Even though he's in like a bunch of other great bands here in Chicago, he was like, I'm willing to make this commitment to you. And that had never happened to us before. So even just having that peace of mind for me, it made like the recording process so much more carefree for me i think that it's it's funny to look back to because i remember conversations that i've had with marcus where he was wanting so hard to just express that yeah he wanted to be it for you um and i think that there was kind of just this this feeling of like he wasn't sure if you were sure oh but I think that you all were... We weren't sure if he was sure. <laughs> you finally, finally did it. And, and if anybody wants, like, expert analysis, um, there's nothing quite like playing in a band when Marcus is your drummer. Yeah, he's has a very clear sense of himself, which I respect Every time we get to play together, every day, he pops. Oh yeah, and like the he's confident, but not in a not in a like arrogant way. He just makes you feel confident. It rubs off, like mm-hmm. it's infectious and it's fun. It's not like yeah, there's no mean spirited energy at all. It's just like let's have a great time. We rock. Like that's it. Definitely, it's cool. And and Sean, um, Sean, it, it goes back with with all of you for so long too. With Dave, yeah, Dave and he went to like they didn't go to the same high school, but neighboring suburbs, and they mm-hmm. were all like friends and played in bands together and stuff in high school. So I met Sean through Dave, um, like. The first time I ever visited Dave's, like, went back to Dave's hometown uh, after freshman year of college. Yeah. So in, like, 2011. And, yeah, I mean, Sean's always been a person that I've... He was someone I admired from afar because he writes such great music. Right. His old band single player and now Jupiter Styles. And so eventually... And I knew he loved to tour. And so eventually when we, like, asked him if he'd want to learn how to play bass for this band because he had never played bass, mm-hmm. he was so down to just, like, go for it. So, I mean, he's like a rock to us. And so now you've got a solidified lineup and then you're in these these bigger rooms and it's, I feel like the last couple of years have been you as a band learning how to fill that sound sonically, mm-hmm. which really comes off on this record. Yeah, I mean, it. I'll never forget. This was recently and it was actually after we had recorded the new album so i can't i don't know the timeline's not totally in sync but like i remember playing in uh, that this room called royale in boston it's like mm-hmm. pretty big it feels like some sort of like post-apocalyptic like nightclub uh-huh. like there's like chandeliers on the ceiling but they're like painted black technoir yeah sure. yeah it's like it's like like edm phantom of the opera or something okay, i don't know yeah, but yeah. And it's a pretty big room but we were like sound checking with alien and we had already recorded it and we were like whoa like this sounds awesome like this yes. is huge and like we recorded this song hoping that we would be able to like play in a room that makes it sound like even bigger and right. yeah just to have that opportunity we're definitely not there yet like with 
headlining like we're playing way small clubs which is gonna be awesome uh-huh because it's it's like the other end of the spectrum right like blowing a room a small room up exactly i don't want to offend anyone's ears i don't want to be we're not going to be like hella loud for the sake of it but uh-huh. i mean it'll be cool to like kind of these are loud songs in intimate gotta... space. some of them yeah yeah it's gonna be i'm so excited to play them and just try this out so is that is that different type of writing for you it, it feels like you're it feels like the the trajectory is you're playing in these bigger spaces and now you're like writing songs to fill them and which is what you just said so it doesn't feel like you just (laughs) um but it is in the back of our minds yeah is it is it how different is it for you then to like go into i mean especially with the types of songs that that you've written for for a really long time we'll get into a couple of the uh, the more story-based uh-huh. songs that are on this record, but a song like Alien, which is so specifically like a big chorus and a, mm-hmm. and a big loud uh, rock song, like how easy was it to shift into that? Um, I mean, it happened pretty naturally, I think. Like, I'm just a huge fan of like contrast, so I would never want to be like, I would never want all of our output to be loud bombastic like it the important thing for me is having those songs but then balancing them out with like really intimate or like more atmospheric or like i don't know like contemplative songs like i feel like you have to have both Uh and so for me we had never really had that other end of the spectrum like we had always we never really pushed it beyond like the smooth clean Mm -hmm. uh chiller songs uh we came up with the new (laughs) word in practice (laughs) yesterday well, a couple of days ago, called Chillergenic. Uh huh. So we had like mostly Chillergenic songs, but I don't know. We wanted, I wanted to try to balance that out and like push it to another level with, we all did, with something a little bit like mm-hmm. more ambitious sonically. And so, so I don't know. That's important to me. But like that song, Alien, started out like me in a car on tour, like everyone was chilling in the green room and I just like needed to be alone for a minute and was feeling like super crazy mm-hmm. and just like, went to the car and like i usually don't play guitar much like outside of the venue on uh-huh. tour and so but yeah just like started playing that song so like it started out very quiet just me so the I, the seed of the song is still like i never was like this is the arena banger right, like when i was right. writing it or anything <laughs> but I, th- I think that you then then it feels like really deliberate then to have the bridge of the song as quiet as it is in that build yeah. up totally i always love that i love that move because that bridge is so long yeah and prodding and i feel like in in most instances with like singles you really want to like tighten it up there and i love that you mm-hmm. didn't yeah we made it longer it was shorter in the demo but when we got in the room with sean and marcus and we were kind of like like finishing the song because we when we wrote it we didn't have drums uh-huh. you know and so anyways that bridge part became like a whole nother part of the song because marcus and sean are like in in lockstep that whole part and so uh yeah we just like added some stuff but yeah god that's <laughs> that song turned out so crazy i'm like so happy with it it's wild it sounds so different from any of our other stuff yeah up to that point so l- let's get into that part uh the writing part of it because you and Dave, did you start by going up to Michigan or did you go to Kentucky first? We went to Michigan first. That was a shorter session. We went up there in like, it was right around New Year's Eve 2017, 2018. Uh-huh. Um, so a while ago. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we wrote we wrote a few songs up there. Like we wrote Printer's Devil up there, uh, Hands Grow. Uh, we mo- wrote most of Ange up there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Yeah, it was like super snowy and very northern Michigan. Yeah. Love it up there. It's uh my uncle has like a house that he rents out to the rest of our family and so mm-hmm. no one's usually up there in the winter, so we, we Yeah, cuz like why would you unless you wanted <laughs> to get like really in your head to create yep. something or like cross country skiing. Uh-huh. But we didn't do any of that. We just <laughs> stayed inside. <laughs> um I guess this is also if I'm remembering correctly, this is really the first record that you've done that isn't a lot of old songs this is yeah pretty much all new material right yes go out was the only idea that we 
pretty much we kind of recycled but i had only written like a verse we wrote the rest of the song yeah uh, in yeah in those demo sessions so so i guess like when you're when you're going up there when you're thinking about it you have i guess the sort of the bubbling of we're, we're playing different venues now i guess is there anything else that feels different than than other aspects of it do you feel um, is there any like added pressure of well now i gotta like i gotta write everything <laughs> not really i mean like we had done we demoed up there for gn too and uh that was like a really good experience mm-hmm. um and so i felt pretty it was a very familiar setting and i mean then when we went down to my childhood home in kentucky that was like even more like it just right. felt completely at ease you know that's like where i learned to write songs and so both of those like both of those uh experiences those like demo sessions were pretty very chill like we yeah. we weren't worried like um i mean mo- a lot of the songs just totally came to be like uh Prince Devil and Ange those were just like out of thin air which was always like so exciting i feel like when you put yourself in that mindset the like okay my soul like my the one thing i'm doing right now is playing music yes i'm not worried uh, about answering emails i turned my phone off like i've i'm i ate i'm not hungry like i'm just gonna play for a few hours and like mm-hmm. being in that mindset it's so hard to achieve for me at home because i get so distracted but when we went up there we just committed to that and so i kind of knew that good things were like good ideas were gonna happen i just like trusted that but like hands grow was an idea that I kind of had in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Wrote it in the bathroom of my old apartment, actually. Just like yeah. the vibe, like the riff and stuff. But yeah, so we came up with like little ideas. We had a few of those, and then we trusted that other stuff would just like happen. Is it any different knowing that you're? I, I'm, I'm assuming that you're in the back of your mind thinking like Sean and Marcus are playing on this record. Yeah. Especially at the later session, like in in summer of 2018, we mm-hmm. knew that that they would like that that first one in Michigan. It was a little bit murky still, like how how it would be recorded. And I think that kind of like informed the later session because that was more of a sure thing. And we wrote like Alien and Look to like more of the yeah kind of like a forward you know urgent exa- song. You know exactly what you're doing with Rockers. those as the one too. Right. This is a new. This is a new thing. Yeah. So yeah, over the course of like demoing the songs, we kind of realized that. And it, it, I don't know, we, we continued to demo the way we do just the two of us, but we knew that we had like some work to do when we got home to, mm-hmm. to fill them out because we knew that they weren't, they were going to sound completely different eventually. So we, we talked about Kentucky a little bit. Your, yeah. y- your second session was in your childhood home, Yeah, that was which awesome. had just been sold. Yep. It was, uh, yeah, my parents had like moved out. There was a little bit of furniture left in the room. Um, oh, coaster. Yes. <laughs> Drinking. Pat, Pat left his coffee cup here like a real heathen. <laughs> Drinking out of my water bottle. I need to get a new one. This thing is like disgusting. I got a new one <laughs> for Christmas, but are... I'm having a hard time like letting go. I know. Isn't that dumb? Like it's. This doesn't even belong to me. Tyler from Diners left that at my house in in 2016. Okay, that's cool, though. That's like an artifact. Well, I haven't seen them since then, so maybe, oh, maybe we'll see them. Where, He's where's coming. Where's the Arizona show? Yeah, okay. Diners is... Oh, yeah. They might be on tour, though. I don't know. Yeah. They're always playing, but part of me is like, I wonder how long I can keep something. Uh-huh. I, like, I lose stuff a lot, but <laughs> anyways, had this for a while, but, but yeah, no, I mean, Kentucky is great, like... I love being down there. I just, like I said, felt like, I don't know, so calm down there. It was yeah. really nice. It was it was weird to just be, like, in the shell of this house when no one was there. Because, like, I come from a big family. I have three siblings and my parents. And, we, and it was kind of a house where, like, all of our friends would come. Because my parents were, they weren't, like... They cared about us and they paid attention, but they were uh-huh. just very trusting. And so, like, yeah, sure. our friends would come over all the time, like, every weekend. So, it was, like, always filled with people. Yeah. But to have it just be the two of us, it was uh, <laughs> just a little, it was just kind of surreal to me. But, yeah. But these I mean, rooms that you're, that you're just so, uh, it's so assimilated that there's a table in that spot and there's a rug yeah. here and 
nothing. You're seeing corners that you've never seen before. Yeah. I mean, I will say it was a great opportunity to just like say goodbye to that space. And, and also when we were there, we, um, we got to meet the people who were moving in. Uh That was really cool. It's a, a young couple and they're like trying to start a big family. And so, uh, I mean, I can only imagine that they're filling that house with people the same way that we did uh-huh sounds kind That's of so weird nice. but i mean i'm sure yeah. like i have a feeling they're gonna make so many great memories there so that was a beautiful for me like transitional moment so i guess it's it's hard not to look at songs that even don't come from uh that experience mm-hmm. and just tie in you know a song like Ange uh-huh. and then just put it into all of that space. I guess like it's obviously super cathartic for there, but for anybody, I think especially someone who you have a really well-documented history of attaching a lot of meaning to mm. different uh, moments. Yeah. So like, I guess like creatively, aside from just being in a, a really safe and, and open space like what what do you think like of that part of it made its way onto the record um that's a really good question yeah i mean like i i knew going in (laughs) hell yeah (laughs) good for you i i uh yeah like i i we went into the sessions with i had some very rough ideas of like things i'd potentially want to write about and uh, some things you realize are like more urgent, like more of a need than you thought. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ange, for instance, like it would have maybe made more sense to write that song in Kentucky because that's where uh, my friend Ange lives. And like that's where our whole relationship happened for the most part, like in that house. But like when we went to demo in Michigan, I that was like the first song we wrote. It It felt to me I didn't realize how much I like needed to write that song as cliche as it sounds like I uh I had that experience with her where she like spoke to me in a very vulnerable way and it made me like it was just such uh I felt like it would be an injustice to like wait once that kind of happened and so Uh yeah we wrote that in Michigan and then but that kind of like laid the groundwork for me about just the emotional center of like the concept of just like writing about your family like Mm -hmm. writing platonic love songs i saw that on the internet the other day i was like that's great like i've never even thought of that phrase but that's like something i'm all in on uh i find it kind of tough to write like romantic love songs but i think platonic love songs are like something i naturally gravitate toward and so when we were in kentucky look to maybe on the surface doesn't seem like that but for me, that's 100% a platonic love song. I feel like sometimes the way you can, the way you love someone the most or that you know you love someone the most is when you are so frustrated with them and you can be honest about it. Um, and that's pretty yeah. much what Look Two's about. There's, an, there's a number of songs like that, I think, on, on the record of um, that sort of, like the person that you're speaking to is... Um, I mean, on look two, it's you're speaking to someone who has been an adult presence in in right. your life. Yeah, like throughout. my parents. Yeah, yeah. Um, who I love. Right. Obviously. Right. But there's 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 a perspective in there of of you grow up as a child with this adult, and they're they're still an adult when you become an adult, but you're still a child. And right. But then you cross that boundary one day where you have conversations where it feels like your peers almost and then they they realize and snap out of it and turn away from that i don't know i've Mm -hmm. i've had that experience multiple times and it's like it's i feel like probably a rite of passage of getting older but it's also just it's it's surreal to me when you realize that the tides are turning and you're gonna have to be their care like someone's caretaker soon when they for your whole life they were yours and so, I mean, it's definitely not a unique experience. That's something that happens to pretty much everybody. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I'm not that old. I'm like 27, but I've just, and my parents aren't that old. They're like, my mom just turned 60. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just, and even watching her take care, my mom take care of her parents, uh, it's just a poignant thing. 
And I'm also trying to like empathize with her because mm-hmm. that's got to be so hard to like right. figure out what to do. And you, yeah, you can't like, what do you have to compare to with that? Yeah. I mean, it's a, yeah something that you have to like experience mm-hmm. to understand. But and I so, think it's also it's easy to diminish like your own capability when mm. you're talking to someone who's always been an adult. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I mean, yeah, it's, I feel like it's easy for me to just fall into the like restless, confused, mm-hmm. like young adult role. Right. But yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed having those conversations with my parents where I was, where I was trying to give them guidance mm-hmm. and knowing that they actually were listening and like took that seriously was, you know, it made me feel very thankful and like proud. So, yeah. Uh, Do you think you were able to, to say everything that you wanted to I think so yeah I mean I I uh it's just important for me to express the fact that like I'm your ally like mm-hmm. not just your daughter um like I'm someone I want to be someone who you can depend on right back I'm ready to play that role and yeah. so uh yeah I mean saying those words out loud saying like um like my mom's been trying to stop drinking and that's a hard thing because she yeah. she worked in the adult beverage industry for her entire career. And so that's like something new for her. And mm-hmm. I told her, I'm like, I'll be sober with you. Like, yeah. I will 100% do this with you. I'll be your ally. Like, and I think, I don't know, that was just a very powerful moment for us. It's nice to be able to have those moments where you can like level with each other. Mm-hmm. It's a new thing. Yeah. It's cool. Um. There's a line in My Hands Grow where you say, I know that it's hard to feel my love. Is yeah. that is that related to to this? Yeah, I mean, I absolutely. I Growing up, had a lot of trouble, like, expressing affection. Uh-huh. I don't know why. I, especially with my siblings, I was just, like, very closed off emotionally. Uh-huh. Um, not for any, like, you know, traumatic reason. I just... That was just my personality. Yeah. And uh, even with my friends, too, I had a bad habit of just not being very uh, attentive or, like, responding to texts and stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, I've it's something I've been very much working on and conscious of as well, I've gotten older. Yeah, what but, what do you think, like, stirred the, the realization and then the... Um... I feel like... I don't know why. I think I was, like, nervous to, to like, just embrace especially my sisters, like they were always a little bit younger than me. And I have no idea this would be definitely like reaching for some sort of conclusion in my subconscious or something. But I wonder if I was just like nervous that I couldn't be like a role model to them in that way. Like they are both just such affectionate people. Like, and they were, they've always been that way. And my mom is too. And I just didn't have that in me. I mm-hmm. don't know. And so I think I was just, I knew I couldn't quite match it. And so I just shut down. Yeah. Um, but I've learned, I I mean, I've, it's not that I've learned that I love, that I love them, but mm-hmm. I just have become more comfortable uh, seems expressing like, myself. It seems like not dissimilar to that same, that same relationship of the adults in your life where yeah. you're not an adult to your older siblings, but you're the oldest. Oh yeah. I mean, there's a, Four and six years doesn't feel like very much now, but when we were like in high school and stuff, we just didn't have very much in common or like much to talk about. And I've always loved my sisters, but as I've gotten older and as we've been able to bond a lot more, I realize now that, Mm -hmm. yeah, I definitely was pretty distant back then. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have like nine and 15 years in between my siblings. That's like a whole generation almost. And sometimes I... I just had a recent like experience with my sister where she she told a she told a, a college story and I was kind of like, dude, that story just sucked. Like <laughs> all, all you did was get fucked up, and yeah. there was nothing. Uh, there was no redemption in that story. And I tried to be like, like you're an English major. Like you should be better at telling stories. And I just hurt her feelings. Yeah. And and I I realize that like well i didn't realize that jamie told me that but you know i was talking to her the way i would talk to a like a friend and she's 19 she's sensitive yeah you know that that feeling of like oh man like you gotta you gotta work on you 
before you can really like relate. Yeah, totally. I mean, I I know that feeling of watching someone who's younger like clearly want to impress you or like mm -hmm. just be on your level. And I've I've definitely done that so many times, like in high school where I was the freshman, but there were these juniors and seniors who uh -huh. I was so like looked up to and, and even I have a lot of older adult cousins and when I was little I think I would do that a lot. Mm -hmm. Um so it's just kind of like it's like not secondhand embarrassment, but it's almost just like, oh my God, like this is, yeah. I, I know this, I know what's going uh -huh. on here. Yeah, but totally. Like you're, you're, you're speaking to your younger self, but you're maybe like, getting down. a little bit too like, <laughs> yeah, too raw. Yeah. Yeah. Oversharing is definitely <laughs> something you learn to avoid, I guess. Um, <laughs> Hopefully. We, we, we talked about um, Ange. A little bit but i think that the the way that you describe it i think from a from a listener standpoint the the connection of Ange to older rap boys material aoid and gn um Ange is a lot like control mm -hmm. but the shorter <laughs> shorter exactly your word economy yeah and you have i mean i think control has a great chorus but Ange has the chorus that those people who are watching watching the opening band are saying like yeah walking away with that line for sure and everybody who heard it for the first time on monday is walking away with that line That's i'm good. sure yeah hopefully i God, I was so excited when that just like happened because, uh, yeah, it's a really, for me, it's like a very simple statement, but mm -hmm. it was filled with so much, uh, it's just like very loaded too for yeah. me. Like, I will not lie. And I didn't want to ever bring this up because I was like, this just complicates it. But when I first wrote that chorus, just I'm not alone, I'm not alone, it almost gave me this feeling of like, uh, there were two things going on one of comfort and one of like like paranoia like you said uh, too much yeah it was very strange and uh but then I just leaned into the aspect of just like allowing myself to feel very mm -hmm. uh, like comforted by that idea I think it's really easy to be like dismissive of something when you say it plainly yeah but yeah. like emphasizing it saying it over and over and in that like b part the different music it really cast it into cool relief for me it made it really special um yeah. i think that that comfort is what what people get you that's know that's good yeah and i mean that, that that's all i want them to get mm -hmm. i immediately kind of uh i don't know cast off those other like i feel like those were weak thoughts just like letting that creep in and i wanted to fully embrace that uh you're writing of, pop songs well dog. yeah and just like mm -hmm. the feeling of wanting people to feel like reassured that's the, that was like the goal <clears throat> excuse me it became the goal pretty quickly and so um yeah writing that song was so fun it was really exciting because like got turned my little string down my big string down to d drop mm -hmm. d baby had never mm -hmm. done that before which is ridiculous play guitar for so many years finally tried out drop d and immediately got to like write this cool little song and like it didn't take long it took like an evening uh-huh and it's one of those songs where you have the mel melodic ideas and like the space figured out and so then all you have to do is write the words and like when you're writing in those constraints of like the cool melody ideas that you already ha have and like the space then it's so easy because then you can choose what you want to say mm -hmm. otherwise it's tougher when you like don't have the structure figured out or you are still you know working on what like i don't know what the vibe should be or something yeah but the vibe and the structure have came to be very quickly and so the rest of it followed suit yeah the the words that go in to complement that as opposed to you write words and then you put things around yeah, it that doesn't happen as much but sometimes that's just how it ends up working out yeah i feel like there's an instinct that comes early on in, in making something where you really, really need to say everything. Yeah. And I think that what comes out from a song like Ange is that y you say one thing really, really well. Thanks. 
That's definitely something I've been trying to do for a while. It's tough to be concise. Yeah. I always have so many, yeah, things that I, like you said, that you feel like you need to say. And it's really hard to mm-hmm. decide what is expendable and what's not. Um, but with this, I was excited to try and just be focused for once in my freaking life. Oh, and like, come on. No, but you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. really get to the point. Like, not not like nibble around the edges or something. Um, and so, yeah, it was exciting to pick out some moments and reflect on them, but mm-hmm. not do it for too long. I think in on, on the other side of, of things, we also have your most abstract writing, I think, is, is really on here, too. Yeah. Is it... I wanted to save this for the end, but sometimes conversations go how conversations go, <laughs> not how you plan them. So um, true. I feel like Printer's Devil, the song, the phrase, the title, the amount of abstract song like lyrics that are on here and maybe like even some of the other like ephemera of the the end of look two or or whatever oh yeah that was crazy that that phrase you said comes comes up in michigan yeah oh yeah how how do you find it oh my god (laughs) this was i know that you've told this to me no no already before i love telling this story but Mm -hmm. i always feel self-conscious because it is the story in itself is such a rabbit hole. This mm-hmm. is one of the most beautiful, immaculate internet rabbit holes I've ever gone down. And it was, it took over my whole day. Like I, yeah. <laughs> that's just what I did for the rest of the day. It was so awesome. Like, so we were working on the song, My Hands Grow. And I knew that I wanted that song to be very like pastoral, like about being outside. Mm-hmm in nature, all that sort of stuff. It's based on an experience I had with my friends where we were outside and having just a great day in the countryside in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I was like, <laughs> I'll do some research. I'll like read some Walt Whitman. But then I was like, you know what? I don't actually know that much about Walt Whitman's life, not just his work, his mm-hmm. like poetry, but um, he's known for writing poetry that, you know, deals in that same space. And so... I was like, I'm going to read about his life first, partially procrastination, but also just like I wanted to do. I wanted to read about that. You don't and have so, anything else to exactly. do. You just got to write songs. Right. So I like, was, why not? I know. I was having a great time. And so anyways, <laughs> started reading about his life on Wikipedia, as you do. And um, at the very beginning of the article in the section about his childhood, it mentioned that as a young boy, when he was like 12 or something, he worked as a printer's devil in Brooklyn. Full stop. Uh-huh. And I was like, I've never heard that phrase before in yeah. my life. Like, that is a strange... There was just like, I, it's hard to describe. I wonder if anyone... I'm sure other people experience this too. What is that construction? Just, what is that phrase? Yeah, just this feeling of like, just utter like perplexity. I don't know. Like, I was, I was just like, had to pause for a minute. And then mm-hmm. I clicked on that little hyperlink and was, yeah, reading about how that's a phrase for a printer's apprentice. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. There's all sorts of different theories about where that phrase came from. Oh, that's interesting. Cool. Wasn't quite stuck on it yet. Went back to the Walt Whitman article, continued to read. His experience in that job was absolutely insane. Like, I'll briefly tell you what happened. So, like, he worked... We're doing long form. You you can tell... I hope anyone cares about this because I found it so interesting. But, so he worked at this printing shop in Brooklyn and his boss was like a very eccentric guy very um very subscribed to the teachings of this Quaker minister named Elias Hicks who was like a radical guy like a radical theologian um was advocating for like women's rights way before anyone else was like abolitionist Mm -hmm. guy but then also just like his teachings about uh Christianity themselves like he called the gospel uh, like the dead letters and stuff like that. Whoa. And he called Jesus like our great pattern, like just very interesting, like uh, semantics. I love that. Yeah, yeah, fascinating stuff. Mm-hmm. So then, of course, I started reading about Elias Hicks, and that's how I was reading about all of his theology. But, anyways, while women's boss was so caught up in all of this that he decided that he wanted to dig up Elias Hicks's 
a corpse because he was dead already Mm -hmm. to make a death mask like which is where you put plaster on a dead person's face and you take it off and and you have like their face forever and so (laughs) he roped walt whitman and a couple other guys in the shop into like sneaking into the cemetery at night and attempting to exhume this theologian's body and they got caught and it was a huge scandal Uh and the shop eventually had to close um but i imagined how that must have impacted young walt whitman in this like formative time in his life who Mm -hmm. eventually became this like incredible person who writes incredibly vivid poetry Mm -hmm. and um so especially like civil war poetry where he he has so many moments of like talking about corpses and and things a lot of yeah a lot of like yeah like ruminating on mortality and i love god i haven't read his poetry as much lately i want to again but like Mm -hmm. in college we read it a lot and it was always so uh dense (laughs) and like very uh just full of life so much yeah everything is is in leaves of grass right Right. And so, and so when I realized that he, and again, who knows how much of this actually happened? I uh-huh. choose to believe that it happened exactly the way that I read about it. You're allowed to. I'm allowed to. And I, so I took that story and ran with it. And so the lyrics of Printer's Devil for me, it was kind of an exercise in thinking how Walt Whitman might have been reflecting on this experience. So, like, uh, in the shop, we talked about this before once, but like, I, it said in the article that, you know, as a as a printer's devil, one of his jobs would have been to test the ink for the day to like prepare the press, and it mentioned that he would write down little like sentimental bits to to use just so it wasn't just gibberish or like a mm-hmm. line of a's or whatever. Like he would write down little little uh, like phrases or lines, and so. For me, the the verses are little lines that he would have written down to test the ink, but they're dealing with not only the theology of this guy, Elias Hicks, which I'm sure would have been like his boss would have been talking about all the time, but also the actual experience of going into the cemetery in the middle of the night and digging up this person. Yeah. And so it just, that was awesome to like discover that all in one day and all of a sudden there's a whole new idea that's happening and it was so much fun writing that song because it ended up just being like very meditative and so I could write millions of different I wrote so many like lyrics for that song and was able to just whittle it down to Mm -hmm. what we ended up using but um it was so much fun we had a great time and you got loops on there yeah we got got that synth that just drums. goes back yes. forth, <laughs> back and forth mm-hmm. and the whole song i'm playing the same thing on guitar yeah um which you can hear it if you listen closely uh-huh. it's in there um but yeah so it's just like a it's uh kind of like a pad just like a you're just setting yourself mm-hmm. making yourself a bed and just laying down and thinking did you have when you're putting those phrases together mm-hmm. that make up the lyrics. I mean, you're dealing with, I mean, first of all, the first line is just <laughs> like, oh, that's where we are. Okay. Yeah. I can't really explain that one. That one's like- It just happened. A purely sentimental bit, I would say. <laughs> but- Yeah, that just God like came is silent. Out. So that's Elias Hicks. That's like Hell that's me yes. straight up, just like uh, uh, taking from his mm-hmm. direct teachings. I fucking um, love it. Yeah, those are. Um, yeah, that's what he said. Got a silence. He's a, like a fascinating person. I don't. Mm-hmm. I definitely blame this guy for trying to dig him up, but I don't blame this guy for being so fascinated by him because he seems to yeah seems insight, to have a lot of cool ideas. Insight a lot of. Uh, a lot of very uh, out there reactions. He's got that sort of. Uh, I just watched the thing about uh, J.D. Salinger and and people's oh. obsessions with with him, and it's just it, it's a fascinating thing to look at um, people's interpretations of of someone's work, 
and where they can take it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, especially when you're talking about theology, it's like, oh, yeah. yeah. People have I, strong I, feelings. <laughs> yeah, I could also see, see somebody just being like, yeah, I want to make a death mask, but also he might not really be dead. <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, like what? Yeah, totally. Takes on a whole extra dimension. J.D. Salinger was a pervert. I feel like I should note that. Oh, fair enough. I, I don't know anything about him. Um, the, that, that, that song, though, and that, that phrase, it, it really just puts this whole air of... Um, of just like like you know you you're a band that has always like had americana tones uh-huh. to it and there's there are songs on on gn um you know crying about the planets where it's like oh okay this is like oh i love that song l- uh, me too it's it's Thanks. one of my favorites on that record it's and another it, Wikipedia jam for show. Well, that was a song that I that when I heard that in the middle, yeah, of that record, I was like, I was like, oh, I really hope they lean into this. Hell yeah, cool. And you did. Oh yeah. And you put this at the end of the record, which is you've ended a record with you know kind of a a jam that like puts everything together. Uh-huh. You've you've ended a record with the uh, tear jerk of of the twenty first century and then you end this with this it it's just nothing but the excitement of possibility yeah that's you nailed it that's for me what that song is and it like you said it for me it feels appropriate to end a record that way Mm -hmm. um it's kind of like it just yeah makes me feel excited about the future um and then getting to name the album after that song was something that as soon as i wrote it i felt strongly about Mm -hmm. and luckily when i proposed that idea everyone else was on board yeah it's uh and yeah that's like what the whole record is for me and so it's cool to have a song that's like a distilled clear uh statement of that just excitement of new discovery and inspiration and that's how i feel about all songwriting like when i sit down to write a song that's like Mm -hmm. that's the ideal mindset um but it just happened so uh it just happened in that magical way it was awesome and it was i felt so lucky to have that experience like it was so cool and to be in that setting where nothing else mattered and we could just explore this was i mean perfect it worked out great um and so yeah ending the album with that song was a no-brainer that was like Mm -hmm. the plan all along Mm -hmm. yeah is it was it difficult at all to carry that into the studio because this is this is the record that i think captures your band the best thanks i think Um, that like seeing seeing you play live always kind of informed me um when i would go back and listen to the record but this is the one that is just it's all there there's nothing that gets lost in it that's good i'm really glad that 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 you feel that way yeah i mean going into the studio we had a pretty clear idea of what we wanted to do for the first time. Like we had like talked about it out Mm -hmm. loud a lot and rehearsed for like a couple, few weeks, um, even more than that. Like over the course of the summer, we would get together a lot and uh, jam it out and write parts and stuff. And so this is the first time that we went into a studio session having a very clear idea of Mm -hmm. what we wanted and, uh, and like not settling for anything less than that which you know uh is just what you gotta do and so with printer's devil i'll say that song specifically we went in and that was the one where we were like let's just see what like we'll just mess around you know and we didn't really have a clear plan for that one other than like the different drum parts and uh like the different loops and my Mm -hmm. guitar um and so that one just came together out of uh the fun studio stuff that we had to work with and yeah we did that one really fast and that's the one that we mixed the fastest too it's from my perspective so so encouraging and fulfilling to see you talk in that way when the first time i interviewed you talking about aoid just 
I just got an electric guitar. <laughs> like I never really like played with an amp before. I hadn't. I didn't know what I was doing. You're so locked in now. We're just trying to like get better and learn every time yeah. we play together. It's something that we still are like are constantly doing. Mm-hmm. Even at like band practice, like rehearsal, we are constantly learning new things about these songs and also just about playing together. Mm-hmm. It's it's not like we just figured it out. You know what I mean? And that that's what I'm so proud of is like this album, it doesn't sound like a final uh like it's not the end it's just like a step forward and like a big part Mm -hmm. of our journey like where we're going and so it's cool because i feel like there's it set us up in a great way to be able to have that confidence and like that that mindset of like playing together as a band and now we can just take that and run with it and like do whatever we want like sky's the limit and so it feels it feels good and like we've been working on new songs for the next album and it it's nice mm-hmm. to have that just bed of experience of making an a, album that we're yeah that feels a little more realized hold on to that during the tour yeah i mean totally that's the fun thing like we since we recorded so many of these songs live like when we play Ange live it's it sounds just like the album and so we're like this mm-hmm. is awesome like so I, it's it's gonna be easier this time to hold on to that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I'm excited. I so ready to hit the road. Well, not actually ready. We gotta like organize, organize stuff and yeah, pack and yeah, everything, yeah. but <laughs> mentally ready. So, y- you recorded this and it's coming out on top shelf, and then you sort of found yourself in a. Uh, a mutually beneficial uh, position with John and Jake. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, the music video men. Yes. For anyone who doesn't know, they rule. Unbelievable individuals and crew. I can oh, say yeah. that for <laughs> oh, yeah. with you confidence, know. Uh, having been on set in both videos um, and appearing. I don't know if anybody yes. saw my performance as Distress Scientist number three. And uh, Wolfman. Wolfman. So how did how did that come out, or how did that come to be? Um, John and, and Jake did tremendous work for you. How did you get involved with those two? You know what? This is crazy. It all started with an Instagram comment as funny and modern day love story as Uh that is. But yeah, no, I, uh, John had made a video for Spencer Radcliffe. Um, we're, I'm a huge fan of his. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, the video was really nice and like so tasteful and just cool. Um, and, and it's called here comes the snow. And Mm -hmm. so I talk like commented on Spencer's Instagram. I was like, this is great. You know, (laughs) like I love it. And I guess John, that's one thing I love about John and Jake. They are always looking for the next project, like, mm-hmm. which sounds, you know, like normal, I guess. But they are just, they have a list of ideas that, like, they want to make. And mm-hmm. so they're just, like, looking for the right opportunity. And I respect that because it's more than a hustle. It's like they just love making stuff. Like, they love making yeah. art. And so, anyways, John saw that comment and was like, oh, that's a band like that it could be cool to work with. And so he emailed uh, me out of the blue and he was like, hey, I know this is a lot, but I have this idea for a video. I'm wondering if you'd ever want to, A, work together, B, if this idea speaks to you at all. Mm-hmm. And it was this <laughs> this idea about making a space video where the big inspiration was uh, – the episode of the magic school bus where they all go to space mm-hmm. and Arnold like gets really upset and takes off his helmet in a moment of just pure frustration and his face freezes over. And it's mm-hmm. this like tragic, shocking thing. And so he was like, that's what I want the emotional center to be. Like eventually you take off your helmet. And I was like, dude, you have no idea, but we have this song that's, it's not about space, but it uses these same sort. Of, it has similar uh-huh. imagery, and the feeling is like right in line. This like desperate urge to find yourself, and so uh, 
or be found or something. And so uh, I was like, yo, we need to meet up. And so eventually, yeah, we just, it was awesome because we were totally down and he was ready. And so we refined the idea and just loved working together. And Jake's awesome too, his mm-hmm. his partner. And so, um, yeah, I mean, that was like the best thing of 2019 for us. Yeah. Besides all the touring that we got to do, that was huge because once we recorded all made those videos after we got home from tour and we had like six solid months of uh nothing Mm -hmm. at home and that is like terrifying for a musician um because you make all your money on tour and i mean you can stay home and write an album and we definitely wrote a bunch of songs but i mean being able to fill that time with making videos was huge like that was a huge benefit and so yeah you saw all the crew everyone was like We'd never worked with, like, a crew of people on a music video. So that was, like, mm-hmm. an awesome experience. And everyone was just all in, which was so cool. But the, Here's where we get sad. Okay. Um, you asked Chloe to be a part of the yeah. I Go Out at Night video. She did such a good job. Uh, she did. Um, for, for a dog who couldn't hear... Um, and had never done anything like this before. It followed stage directions like incredibly well. I was blown away. So was I. You guys, like you, she was so obedient. Mm-hmm. And was, you guys were having clearly so much fun. I wish, I wonder if we have any B-roll of you guys just like prepping her little, like her motion because it was, yeah. it was, you guys are so in sync. I would really love that. I, I might ask Max or Phil or something because we uh, got to have it somewhere. Um, it was it was such a fun thing to you know i think i'd just gotten back from thailand so i was kind of on a weird time totally. schedule anyway so you're like i remember that can is it okay if someone picks you up at midnight and it's like yeah i'm not going to sleep until six o'clock anyway yeah, that worked out right <laughs> yeah and just like bringing bringing her over there and um just watching her like you know run into the room where the people were um she kept running to the cameras yeah that was like we couldn't keep her in the room because she was like she wanted to see what was going on wanted to be where the action was it was hilarious <laughs> we were like chloe it's not your it's yeah. not your shot yet but soon you'll be you'll be the star i think that i like i think that i recently like kind of unlocked the it it obviously feels um like of course i would grow this totally singular and unique attachment to this song now that I have this um, experience with it. Um, but I I feel like it it wasn't until like a couple days ago that I got to actually like think about that for the first time. I think it was just so like emotional that it that I just like wouldn't even like yeah sit, you know totally. it's still part of like the shock um but it's not only that that has made this kind of turn out to be like probably my favorite rap boy song is that is that about Kentucky sleeping there for the last time yeah yeah I wrote those lyrics when we were down in Kentucky we had mm-hmm. demoed uh most of the song up in michigan but it wasn't finished and so we brought it down to kentucky to finish it up um, yeah. yeah i mean it's kind of for me it's like it's just an objective fact it's like mm-hmm. just trying to accept something and in doing that just stating what is happening and letting anyone buy into that in any way that they that it feels right um yeah that felt at the end of the day, I had all these different ideas of what to say, but that was just like, what, mm-hmm. what was going on? <laughs> it's, it's got that, you know, that thing that just happens when something just implants in your brain and, and you, you think about the thing that you do and you think about the song that now just describes it. Mm-hmm. And I... I walk Hadley and and Lily, and even if I'm not listening to that song, I 
I think about yeah, like I go out at night. Yep. <laughs> I go out with with these with these creatures and um and now I have like uh a a soundtrack to that. That's I, awesome. Um I this is the best record that you've made and the last record that you made was my favorite record of that year. Damn. Um I am so excited for this to come out and to see even from like the alien video there are a lot of people that are out there that have been waiting to just full on push for how much they love your band thanks and i read I, a comment like that on the internet the other day i was like cool <laughs> i hope this works i hope that you love us now not just like mm -hmm. i think that there's these bands come every once in a while where it's couple couple records that are like oh, shit this is this is something but that that one that comes that allows you to just go full on yeah in your fandom and in expressing that i think that for for, for me this is that 10 times over thank you that means so much to me because you listen to so much music. You know what I mean? That it has an impact like that is more than I could have hoped for. Honestly. Um, I am also so excited to... Uh, Hit the road, baby. Yeah. Yeah. So we are going to be going to South by Southwest... You're coming with us. Yeah, it's gonna be so awesome. I'm gonna be at that gimmick table, the merchandise, <laughs> um, the objects you can buy. Yeah, we got South by Southwest. Then we're doing some West Coast stuff. We're gonna stop back. Marcus can go to Japan with Pet Symmetry. We're gonna play with Wilco. <laughs> yeah, we can just go and like. We get to go to Jackson, some... Mississippi. Yo. We get to go fucking like Lucinda Williams. Oh territory we're and... going to three places that i've never been mm -hmm. jackson mississippi mobile alabama st augustine florida the first city in the united states never been to any of those three places um it's just gonna be awesome and we're playing dave and i are playing as a duo and so we've been practicing that a little bit and it's gonna be great we're playing a bunch of old songs that we never play and we're gonna try hopefully if i can finish one of these songs try some couple newbies it's gonna be it's gonna be so cool i just and it's gonna be crazy to mm -hmm. play huge rooms and do the opposite mm -hmm. contract a little bit yeah and play extremely intimate sets in massive rooms i'm like i'm Hell so yeah. down for this it's Hell gonna be yeah. crazy um and then we'll we'll be back and we'll do some east coast, east coast stuff I'm so excited to be going with you. Yes. Um, I've been doing a lot of exercises to get my body ready for. I need to do that. Um, Good for you. And we will be doing a podcast. Oh yeah. All of the all of the homies are going to be taking part in this, and we'll be posting those onto the Better Yet feed, and we'll be posting them uh, on the alternative haven't really figured out exactly how they're going to be coming out but ideally weekly we are going to be trying to give you all some cool insights into what this is all like when we're out there yeah on a wave of excitement for a new record out on friday or tomorrow chicago show on friday yeah the 28th mm-hmm buy tickets they're probably sold out already um hopefully <laughs> what's the best place for for people to buy the record Bandcamp. um yeah totally or our website ratboysband.com those it's all the same thing um and honestly at a show like i i love i mean you'll be selling a lot of the records and it's mm -hmm. we love to physically hand them over and uh and dave sometimes draws little pictures on them and stuff it's it's a good time this is uh this is a band that I've seen so many times and like so many bands out there 
you don't know it until you see it live. So we'll be updating y'all with tour dates a lot of times. Please come and say hello yeah. and buy records and we'll uh, we'll see you out there. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much for having me. I, I always love talking to you. I can't wait to do it a lot all over the country. I was nice to do a little uh, a little better yet encore oh, have you over it's an honor thank you we'll talk to you soon thanks brothers <laughs>